When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. And welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather, and today I am joined by Anna from Canada. Welcome, Anna. Hello. How are you? I'm wonderful. I've got a big coffee. You've got a cheeky little. I've got. Ev. It's five o'clock in Canada, so I have a no boats on Sunday cider, apple cider. It's my favorite. BC. Yep. Shout out. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, different time zones. Different different cocktails. <laughs> yeah. So it's Saturday <laughs> afternoon here, Friday night where you are. Um, yeah. It's such a blessing to be able to connect with people all over the world um, and to connect with you as well. We've had some really good chats already and I'm so excited to have you onto the podcast. Um, so do you mind telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Where where are you? What do you do? Who are you? <laughs> sure. So I am a single mom. I have a two-year-old and four-year-old boys. Uh, I am a, I also an entrepreneur. I own an accounting firm that I started in March 2020 not the greatest time to start a business, but it is going really good now. Um, Yeah. And so that's kind of the gist of who I am. I'm 37 and just figuring my life out. I love it. Uh, Resident (laughs) badass as well. So um, I think having these these (laughs) chats, you know, (laughs) about being, um, I guess, leaders and and women who are leaders in a lot of ways as well. um, And a mother too. So I think you're underselling yourself a little bit because you're a fucking badass. <laughs> well, I will accept that compliment. I, yeah, I've had a rough year. Like I can say that my story starts like a year ago when I got divorced with a little baby um, and had to start up my own business because I didn't actually have a job when I was on that leave because I was really sick when I was pregnant and I ended up having to quit my job. And so then got separated from my husband and then just ended up in a really messy divorce and just learned a lot of hard lessons on how life can go if you get divorced when you have a small kid. It sucked. Um, and I was, uh, yeah, so, you know, I started my own business in March. The daycares closed. 
Uh, I had, it was 80-20. We ended up in an emergency hearing with my ex-husband over custody during COVID. It was 80-20 ruling came down. So I had the kids 80% of the time, the daycares closed down, no financial support, no childcare order comes down when they lay down a custody order like that. Um, if I didn't make, I learned if I didn't pay my mortgage, I would have to move out of my home. So I just, my, my ex stopped paying anything. So I was just really in financial distress and in a crisis and had no life. And then fall came around, it went to 50-50, and that was nice in terms of like coming, having a time in life and like just coming coming out of a crisis. And that's when I started to date a little bit. Dating became a little bit of a fun outlet for me. I really enjoyed dating. Um, I I started, you know, in the summertime when I had no life, I just worked and parented 24-7. I would go on like, I've gone a couple dating apps because I'm like, I don't want to date a single mom, like 37, like two young kids, like my baby, you know, I had a baby and a toddler, but it was COVID. So no one was really going out and dating anyways. So then I realized like a lot of attractive men were interested in getting to know me, which was a really nice part of coming out of a divorce. Right. And it was a nice little distraction. And then when it went to 50, 50, and I finally was away from my kids for a little bit of time, I, I worked into going on dates sometimes. And I really enjoyed that time. It was awesome. It was like a different kind of dating, right? I'm not looking for a husband. I'm still trying to get rid of one. I don't have, I'm not looking for a father to my children. I have no spare time. I just want to like be distracted. And, and so I was just having a lot of fun with it. And it was really fun. And they would I'd have three hours of dating and it'd just be dating and they'd leave. I wasn't like, is he going to call me again? I was just like, oh, that was good company, you know? So it was, yeah. everything was kind of coming together. And it's nice to feel attractive and you know, wanted and nice. I mean, if you're acting all of the time as this boss lady, you know, you're working, you're setting up a business, you're constantly on the go. You're also mum, so you know, there's there's vomit in your hair. <laughs> you've got literally, yeah. <laughs> you've got literally. someone crying, you're always looking after people. It's it's kind of nice to when you get a break, not only to feel attractive in yourself, but to to not be those things for, for two seconds and to be not the yeah. one taking care of somebody. Like I can completely understand why why that that time would have been quite sacred to you because you could leave feeling like your tires are pumped up a little bit like you know oh, yeah. I, am a, I am a hot bitch I am I'm, yeah, I'm good totally it's like you have two babies you're like my body's destroyed you're 37 you're like you know and like it does kind of get instilled on you like you'll hear people say like oh, I could I would never want to leave my husband because like dating after divorce and I don't know like it just you just go into it and I was like like I'm honestly was dating like really hot guys in their 20s that was like they were I was getting hit on all the time by really hot guys in their 20s and I was just like go out on a date with a hot guy in his 20s and it didn't really matter if it was a good conversation like it was all it was just very fun and getting that confidence back and realizing there's like a whole world out there I I quite enjoyed it and I felt so free because I'm like this is the first time in forever that I've dated where I'm not like you're, someone's like, your biological clock is ticking or you're like, you know, it's just like, I don't give a shit any about that anymore. And I can just date in total freedom. And I think, yeah, that was my little outlet. And it was really, really fun for like quite a while there. I completely feel you. And I also props to you as well, because I know a lot of young mums and stuff as well feel so guilty about taking time for themselves. And I think it's it's so important. And I think that's great to say, like, you know, went to 50-50, you know, and it's not 50-50s and thank God I don't have them. (laughs) It's just like, we're actually sharing raising these children together because they're both of ours. So let's just, let's do that. Totally. It was like the first time since I've even had a kid where I had any even little bit of freedom. Right. And the first little while I just worked, 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 because I just needed to make money and build up this business. And then I was like, no, I, I need to do something different. And that's just what I started to do. And it was like, 
Yeah, good, good time. Good time That's to have I was, And what I heard from a lot of other moms was like women who got divorced, because I, I got to know a few of them was like, they re- you really get like pushed into needing a new relationship right away. Like people will be like, oh, you know, you're just, you, they put they, they put too much stigma on you. And I go to these women and I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, do you even want that? Like, why don't you just date someone who's hot? Like, you can just go do what you want. Like, you, can, you don't have to, you can just do whatever you want. Yeah. And they'd be like, but they'd feel pressure. Like they would be judged if they didn't try to, I don't know. I don't really get it. I wouldn't yeah. feel that way. I think it's a patriarchy thing as well. Like you can't be a single mum who's going out and having fun, but you God, can, no. <laughs> but you can try and find a new husband that's fine it's like it's a bit weird right, right? it is and it's like if, if you flip it around like imagine a guy like you're you know like a guy who's getting out back out there they're not going to be like although the guys I think quickly find new girlfriends that's what I've for me and my divorced friends what we've discovered is sometimes the men are very quickly to find new significant others while the women are kind of like we're good for a little while yeah. we're just going to take a break yeah. um so there might I've be something enough. there I don't know yeah, yeah I feel like yeah it's just kind of like ah. I don't know. It's my life's a little bit easier now almost. So it's kind of like you got to have, someone's really got to bring something to the table now. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a different time to be alive post-divorce. Absolutely. And I think it kind of comes back to also the state of the world right now. I feel the exact same way and I'm not divorced. I'm a single, (laughs) you know, woman in my nearly, I'm nearly 30. Um, I'm also just like, people have said to me as well about my biological clock and I've nearly clocked them. I know. (laughs) I'm like, fuck off. I don't care. But yeah, it is a powerful position to be in when I think you, you're not looking for something, but if something was great to come along, then so be it. But I'm just going to have fun right now. And I think that's powerful as fuck. That's why guys hit on me all the time now. I swear to God, like before when I was looking to settle down, I'd like never meet a good guy. Now it's just like constant. But I think it's just because I'm like not really interested. That's it's like, I don't even know. Hold, I, know. I don't even know. I don't understand, man. I can never understand <laughs> Um, but but you are here to share your story as well and I guess that this kind of goes on from that from that story so do you mind telling us a little bit about about how this how your story starts yeah so um I was actually kind of entering like a new phase of dating I was like I didn't want to date a guy kind of getting bored of the 20 year old guys it was like fun and all but and then I decided I was going to go try to meet someone new so I started matching people closer to my age and I ended up meeting a guy on Bumble um, and he seemed nice and we chatted and we ended up planning a date, uh, met up at a winery and okay, let me just get my story straight. It's like, it comes all, it's like all, it's all kind of recent. So this just happened to me in April. So yeah. I met him on Bumble. We went on a date to a winery and it was nice. And then I ended up inviting him back to my house, uh, or we got, we came back here or whatever and engaged in consensual, uh, consensual sex. And so what happened was try, we put a condom on and he tried to have sex with me, but he went flaccid when the condom went on. So we ended up taking the condom off and he got hard again and he tried to have sex with me without the condom on. And I said, no, I'm not on birth control. You need to put a condom on. So he put a condom on, tried to penetrate me again, but he couldn't because he'd also gone flaccid again. So then, and this was going on for like a bit of time. And then eventually he said, if I would flip over so he could see that cute tattoo on my back, which I did, and then more like flaccid penis rubbing. And then eventually it was like kind of getting to that point where it was just going to be over. And then all of a sudden he was inside me. And so I was like, okay. And then like next thing you know, he was ejaculating on my back. So I was like, are you still wearing a condom? And he was like, no, it was just, I just took it off for a little bit. 
And so I was just like, honestly, like disgusted and in shock and confused um, and like got up and went to my bathroom and started to clean myself off. And then I was just feeling just violated and upset. And I was in this kind of state of like fight or flight, I think, where I've been in fight for a while. And because of all my divorce trauma, I wasn't like allowing my brain, I think our brains automatically like do something weird when something like this happens. And I just felt disgusted and violated. And I was just like, so I just felt, I just felt those emotions. And so I came out and I asked him, why would you do that to me when you knew I didn't want it? And he said, I'm sorry, it was just for a little bit. So I was just like, get the fuck out of my house. So then he was getting dressed and it was like taking a really long time. And he just kept saying, I'm sorry, let me know if you need anything. And so at one point I was just like, what would I need from you? Like plan B, an STD test. And he said, plan B would be a good idea. And I said, get the fuck out of my house. And so next, you know, then he got dressed and then we like, I walked him out and kicked him out. Uh, like threw a champagne glass at him. It was like pretty dramatic and just kind of came back and just started to like process what had happened to me. Like I, I, I had never imagined, some, I had never heard of this. I didn't know what it was. I, I then learned it's something called stealthing and it's like a whole thing. This is where I learned what stealthing is, which is like exactly what happened to me where a man secretly removes the condom and has sex with you without it. I found, so the, so the first thing I did was like take a shower started to wonder like what the hell happened and I ended up deciding to call a rape hotline so that's the first thing I did and just ask them like this just happened to me and I'm just like I don't even understand like is this a crime like what the I feel so violated right now and I'm like am I pregnant do I have an STD like am I supposed to be a rape kit like I don't know what I didn't know what to do um but I knew that I knew I could possibly be pregnant and I knew that I could possibly have an STD um and so they explained to me it's called stealthing and kind of gave me some good advice um and kind of like just explain to me what my options were in terms of like like it this is a crime it's an awful thing it happens to lots of women it's called stealthing um you can report them to the police it's illegal where we live to do that to someone um it's up to you and then they just said if you're thinking about reporting to the police you write out your statement just write out everything that happened so that it's there and then you can just think about it and go from there so did some research myself that night and like learned about stealthing and I was just disgusted. Like it's the whole thing. Like there's literally guides to doing this that exist on the internet. And it's just rooted in misogyny. Cause I was like, why would anyone want to do that? Like, why would I like one night, like we just met, like you want to, but it's like just about like spreading your seed and like a right to just like yeah. hijack someone's uterus basically. But it's also not consent. So you've consented to nowhere near consent. sex. And that's the bit I've seen on the internet that people are like, but they've consented. Like it's not, I'm like, it is, you've consented to sex with a condom on. That's what you've consented to. They're your boundaries. Somebody to take that off. And it's, it's like he planned to do it anyway. Like, oh, if I just turn her over, she won't see. So like he's done this on purpose, but he's, that's not consensual because you did not consent to have sex without a condom. It's just like black and white. It's like nothing. It's not, it, it, the only way you can argue this is consensual, which is what the police did for a while, is to say that anything goes after sex. Like if I consented to like vaginal sex, if someone forces me to have anal sex, that's not consent. No, and like I could be pregnant. I am a literally a fertile woman with a baby and a toddler, and he 
And I, he knew that I told him I didn't was on birth control and he still set me up for that risk. And like that to me was just like, are this is fucked. Like I vomited for nine months when I was pregnant. I, it, I couldn't work when I'm pregnant. Like it debilitates me yet. I could have to take that risk on now against my will. Same with like, it's just same with like having a baby. Like I have a fucking baby here. Like don't like, I don't want to go have an abortion. Like I didn't take this on. I took on a minuscule risk of sex with a condom. And you forced me into taking on risk that you would never even have to carry with you. Yeah. And the the tests that you would have had to do and everything as well after that. And I think it is as well, like there are things that like not only is a child a lifelong thing that you might have to deal with as, as subsequent to that, but you, you could have the STD. You could have something exactly. that's transmissible to him, but he could have something yeah. that was also transmissible to you. And that's also issue of you know that you've got something like herpes and then you willfully transmit it. It's just unsafe and I can't, it's just fucking so disrespectful and it is an assault and it is not okay. And I'm, I mean, so sorry. What a fucking asshole. Oh yeah. Well, you want to make know what, so I was so rattled after like one thing I've learned is like, there's a play, the playbook exists. You can find it on the fucking internet. And the first thing you do is, get her to flip over on her stomach so she can't see what's happening. And that's exactly what, so I was the playbook, right? And then the most disturbing part was I noticed after he left that he had taken both used condoms and wrappers with him from my home. So I'm cleaning up myself, I'm cleaning up my bed and I noticed the condoms are missing. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so then I was like, I'm gonna go on Bumble and like take a screenshot of this guy. And then I saw that he had deleted me from Bumble. So he left my house and then I learned through my civil case that he also immediately, he blocked me that same evening. So he deleted me from Bumble that evening. He blocked me. I could have been pregnant. I could have had an STD. He collected both used condoms and took them with him when he left. He's a fucking creep. Yeah. He's all, I, it was very, very obvious to me that he'd done this before. I guess as well that the element of premeditation um, and the, the knowledge, not a, he's not a sophisticated criminal, but he's one who's thinking about evidence and he's thinking, you know, I'm going to take the evidence that, that she might have. So I can't imagine another reason why you would collect condoms. That's just such a weird, unusual thing to do when you're getting kicked out of someone's house. So yeah, he's, yeah, it's pretty gross. And yes. for, for me, it was just, he's done this before. Cause also part of the, the whole thing is to gaslight women. Like, Help, go buy them plan B. Sometimes they'll go with you to get plan B. He suggested I take plan B. Like it was just like so fucked up. And it's, and for me, it became about like, why? Because he couldn't get hard with a condom. So that's, you're sad entitled that you would just do that. Cause in my mind at the beginning, I was like, it's like almost gaslighted myself. I was like, I think I've done this before in my life when people have done things like this to me where you just, it's like almost, you just don't want to deal with it. It's like, you don't want to deal with it. So you can tell yourself a little story. So I think I was like, oh my goodness, like, Maybe he wouldn't know that that wasn't okay. And then I was like, no, any fucking normal person would know that's not okay. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. And so then it's like, just process all these emotions to be like, that was like a premeditated crime that someone did to me because they couldn't keep their penis hard in a condom. Like what a fucking joke. Yeah. And I think if somebody's out there thinking, oh, you know, it's, it, I can't have sex with a condom because I don't get hard on it. Two things then go find somebody who wants to have sex with you without one. That's fine. The other thing is you can actually work on yourself and figure out how to make that association not a negative one. 
you could probably oh start masturbating with a condom <laughs> on maybe. There are things you wow. could do maybe to have a positive association. Instead of putting all of the blame on women and then putting them in risky situations because you're an entitled fuckwit. Wow. That is like so impactful what you just said. Like this is something we never do. It's like, look, look at a guy and be like, work on yourself, like do better, like figure out how to get an erection with a condom, like go through, like go through the motions, like try harder. Like that's something we never, ever fucking put back on men. But we, we do it all the time to ourselves. It's just constant. It's like, we're always supposed to be solving people's problems for them constantly. Right. That's how I feel as a mom is like, and maybe also as a boss, it's just like, you're just there to solve problems 24 seven for people, but yet one person can just figure out their own or just like, don't go have, I don't know. I'll never understand it. Yeah. I I completely agree. And I understand. I think we both said that before as well, that feeling um, being in charge of people as a, as a manager or leading your own company. And then for you as well, being a mother, you're always got this, you know, sometimes it's nice to be the person that's just like, kicking goals and making the decisions and everything. But then it's also just like, it's not up to me to do everything. You can, it's just wearing a condom. Like it's, it's such a simple thing that you made very clear. Very clear. That's the part that's like, there's no gray here. It was so deceitful. It was so violating. And obviously not, I obviously didn't consent to that. I very clearly didn't consent to that. And it happened to me anyway. And I had to deal with the consequences. And I've, I, I use the word rape. Like I feel very much like I was raped. I had someone's penis inside of me without my consent. I could have been pregnant. I could have an STD. And I feel people get triggered by that word, but that's how I tell it because that's literally what it feels like. Like I was raped. Like I was fraudulently had sex with someone. No point did I want his penis bare in my vagina, yet I had to suffer all the consequences of that. He didn't hold me down, but he tricked me. That's it. I think that's something that a lot of um, survivors have have a hard time with is, is, is identifying themselves as, as a rape survivor or as a sexual assault yeah. survivor. I think you come into power knowing that you can take courage of whatever word you want to take courage of and that it, it, it is a huge spectrum of things that can happen under that umbrella. Yeah. But whatever word makes you feel power, gives you the power and makes, gives you the acknowledgement of what happened. I think it's important that you're able to do that. And it is, you're not wrong. It's completely valid. Yeah. And I think that's what I've sort of come out of this is just to be like, everyone has different, I think it's a really powerful word rape. I think you talked about this on your previous podcast. Like if, when you say that word, people are immediately uncomfortable. And so it's just kind of about figuring out what it is that matters to you. What is it like? And same with like survivor victim. Like I've been using the word victim especially when I was trying to get the cops to listen to me and stuff. And people were like, oh, no, use the word survivor. And I was like, I don't identify as a survivor. I identify as a victim. And the victim's a powerful word. And it's helping me get the cops to pay attention to me. Um, and I'm like, I think it's just about using the word that is, like, makes you feel validated or powerful or whatever it is. And I'm like, maybe I'll feel like a survivor when this is like over. Um, I feel more like a survivor now. But certainly at that time, I was like, I haven't survived anything. <laughs> like, literally. Yeah. yeah. But like, I think I'm that's just- true. You've got, nobody's got a right to tell you what you need to call yourself. What what we call each other or different people is different, but nobody's got any right to tell you that you can't identify as a victim. You are. And in all fairness, you're still being victimized by the system. So oh, you're yeah. in a constant state right now. You're not through this. You're not over it. You're not, you know, in a place where this is far in the distance. You're going through this right now. 
yeah, it's like live and center in my life every day still. So, and it's going to go on for so long. Like I have my civil trial at the end of the month and then I'll have my criminal trial and that could take a couple years really to wrap up. So there's a long, long road ahead. A good point to come back and say, you know, after all of this happened, you did actually end up going to the police. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So then I, I, I woke up the next day and I was sure I wanted to report him to the police. And so, uh, and that was just, a. I want to say this part of my story is more traumatic than the other parts. It might be a bit more difficult for me to tell. I actually want to say like, you hear these stories, um, oh, it's more traumatic for the victim to go to the police than it is for, to go through the crime. And like, I feel like it's at least equally traumatic, but still so raw to me because Mike was charged, but the the police, there's no change in the police at this moment. Like they're just operating status quo. Um, and a little history. So in Canada, we have the RCMP and they have actually a really horrible history of like racism and treating women badly. But sort of in my 20s, teens, there was like a real like PR campaign. Like we did bad. We're sorry. We're so much better now. And so I kind of lived in a world when I decided to report this crime that it wasn't going to be like it was 20 years ago when I called the cops because everyone knew that it was like that and they were doing better. So I didn't I had a low bar like. I felt like it was a he said, she said, like he'd probably just make up any excuse and it, they wouldn't listen to me. But I wanted them to at least knock on his door so that he would be deterred from doing this again, at the very least. And I was like, if they won't even do that for me, like, then I'm going to harass them. Like, that's just like the bar can't be that low. So um, one of the things I was told like coach should do by the rape place was um, because I have little kids, if you call, they'll just show up at your house for your statement. I didn't want them just showing up here with my little kids here. So I said I wanted to book it in. So the RCMP officer calls me and I'm like, okay, I, you know, I need to report a crime, but I want to book in my statement. I have little kids. It's a sex crime. I don't want you guys coming here. And he was really nice at the start. And he was like, oh, no problem. And we booked it in for two days later. And then he said, can you just tell me a little bit about the situation? I don't know anything. And the file's just like thrown on my door. So I was like, okay, I consented to sex with a condom. And the guy secretly removed it and had sex with me without a condom. And then he said, okay, so what are you looking for from the police regarding this? And I was like, uh, to investigate if a crime occurred and persecute it to the full rights under my, the law. And he was like, well, the problem is that you consented to sex. And I was like, I consented to sex with a condom. I didn't consent to sex without a condom. And then he said, well, there was no rape. And I said, no, there was rape. I was like, forced to have sex without a condom. And we just had this just really fucked up conversation and back and forth about literally like, it was like very black and white to him. Like I consented to sex, therefore there was nothing to talk about here. He didn't know any details of my story. Uh, and so then the conversation ended with him saying he was going to talk to his supervisor and he was going to call me back and he was going to let me know if I needed to come in and give my statement. So I got off the phone and called the rape relief shelter and they were like, this guy's dumb. There's literally case law in BC. Don't worry about it. He's going to go talk to his supervisor. and He's going to come back. Just don't lose that statement appointment. Like, don't get bullied into doing your statement over the phone. You just want to like go in and give your statement. So it's like, OK. So he calls me back and he says, I need to... Okay, I gotta take a, I gotta take an evidence. He's kind of like, it's out of my hands now. I gotta go to Crown. I gotta take an evidence package to Crown, and then I'm gonna let you know if you need to come in and give your statement. And I, I, I don't know any better. I have no idea, right? So I was just like, well, as long as it's not my statement, like, fine. And I'm in my mind, I'm like, the guy still doesn't understand that this isn't a crime, like, for God's sakes. 
Um, and so he starts asking, so he's like, wants some information just to put an evidence package to Crown and it's on Crown and da, da, da. he's really just like, it's not my problem anymore. You just got to answer my questions. I'm like, okay, fine. So asking normal questions like, where did you meet? I'm like, Bumble. Like, do you have his phone number? I'm like, yeah. And then he goes very early on, like third or fourth question. So did Mike specifically say I penetrated you with my penis without a condom on? And I was just like, no. I just like, that's the only word I said. Because at this point, I'm like, what the fuck kind of weird question is that? And then he's, then he goes, see, he probably just penetrated you with a condom on and then pulled out and removed the condom and ejaculated on your back. Oh and I was God. like, right? Like he literally made up this, made up the excuse the guy could make up. And then I was like, so then I was just like, no, because all of this stuff had happened after which if he had taken my statement, he would have known about the conversations we had after. So what he was saying made no sense. So then I ended up just quickly giving him my statement over the thing. And then, he, and then, he's, then he's like all rattled and I'm rattled. And he's like telling me he's still got to take an evidence package to Crown. And it was, we're literally having a conversation about consent that belonged only in the 18th century. And I finally started to clue in. And so I was like, if I had been raped, like a traditional rape per your definition, uh, would you be taking an evidence package and putting it together and bringing it to Crown and then taking my statement? Or would you be taking my statement and then putting an evidence package together and giving it to Crown? And he's like, well, in that case, I'd be taking your statement first and then bringing the evidence package to Crown. And I said, so why is this different? And then he got super defensive and he was just like, I don't know what you're implying. And I'm like, I'm not implying anything. I'm just trying to understand the process. And like, it's not adding up to me. And he's like, I got to go talk to my supervisor and I'll, I'll call you back and let you know if you need to come and give your statement. And I was just like, I'm, you're going to want to keep the statement appointment. At this point, I was like fairly, like I, I had figured it out. Right. And I just ended it with like, you're going to want to keep the appointment. And then he said, he'd call me back. And then he never fucking called me back. And then I just showed up to my statement appointment like two days later. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm furious. I'm fuming and I'm, I'm trying to hold back because I want to fucking yell. Right. Yeah. He has, as an officer of the law, no right to make an excuse for a perpetrator of a crime that he doesn't know. He's never met him and he's literally giving an alibi or whatever to somebody else while speaking to the victim. What the fuck? is wrong with him. I don't care if he's got these preconceived notions. His job in that moment is to listen to you, to take down what you are saying and determine later on if it's a crime or not. That's not for him to determine. His job in that moment is to take the fucking evidence and talk to you and make you feel safe and comfortable, not blame you and then give excuses for the guy. Oh, maybe he was, was wearing a condom. He probably was. What the fuck is wrong with you? You've got no idea. You weren't there. I'm, I'm sorry, but I just. It's, no, it's so weird and gross. I find it infuriating. <sighs> it's awful. The whole experience, that, that, that's the most traumatic. Like, I have a hard time telling that part of the story because it was so fucked up to, like, go through that. And then just, like, not only that, like, they're the authority here. Like, I don't. Why am I having to, I had to constantly, like, as this story goes on, you're going to hear, like, there is case law where I live. Like, I am very, very lucky. I'm one of the few. This happens to women everywhere in the world, I have learned. It is a global fucking problem. And I'm one of the few women who have case law that actually protects them. There's literally case law in the BC courts that have proven already that this is a fucking crime. It's sexual fucking assault or something along those lines. That's the one thing they're still determining in the courts. Um, 
And yet here the cops are having no clue and just continually telling me that they have no clue. And that's just like, okay, still, I, I just, it's, it's baffling. But it's like, if you weren't sure, so in my job as a professional and your job as a professional, I understand the situation. I take all of the information I can, and then I go inform myself and come back to the situation. You act as a professional. So even in that moment, he's actually dealing with you as a human being. You're a person. I mean, you're a woman. But <laughs> that was a joke. I'm a, I'm, no, I get it. No, it's true though, right? Like, I get it though. It's like, he's, that's all. He's just like, he's been protecting his bro. Like from day one, it was just fucked. Yeah. It was but it's so just, fucked. It's not, it's unprofessional. It's not the way that you handle situations. And it's, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay for him to, to maybe not be aware. Not, that's not okay. But it may be in the stealthing case law, you know, whatever. Yeah go back and say, look, hey, I'm going to listen to everything you have to say. I'm going to give you the time that you need because it's my job to serve and protect you. So I'm going to go learn a little bit more and I'm going to come back um, after doing some further investigation. Why on earth would he even in those conversations start an argument and get defensive with you? Like, what are you implying? Well, I know it's just unprofessional. Yeah. And I tried to have consequences for this guy. Like as the time's gone on, I've been like, has anyone explained to officer one that this is a crime and that he was wrong. And like, maybe that there should be a different process involved. Like if, if you have a call from someone and you're uncertain, if something is a crime ought to there not be, like you said, as a leader professional, is there not a way that you figure that out before you give a professional as a CPA? If I don't know the answer to a question, I don't just answer it. I go and figure it out. And then I answer it. You know what I mean? That's pretty basic in most people's jobs. And you think if you're calling the cops, they are the experts. They're not lawyers, but they are the criminal police. Like they have criminal degrees. They have to have a degree to work for the RCMP. Can't be a moron. You have to literally have a four-year degree. It's just unexcusable. Besides, they have this horrible history of this thing called unfounded. So they have, they were recently, this was like not even that long ago, where it was discovered that the, the sex crimes in Canada were at a very, very high rate, more this RCMP, more than other crimes being dubbed unfounded, which is where they don't even investigate it. Like someone comes in and tells a story and they're like unfounded. It, it was like 18 times the amount on sex crimes in Canada than it was on any other crime. And when they investigated it, what do you think they found? That when women were going to the police, they were closing the case before they did an investigation. So all I could think to myself was like unfounded still happens. How many women don't make it past officer one because they're too fragile. Like they're not fighting like me. They're, you have to be so high functioning. I had to debate him and figure this stuff out as I'm reporting my crime in trauma. Like that is not something that everyone can do or should be forced to do to get justice. It's fucked. But that's the gaslighting, I guess, part as well, where you kind of sit back. And if this is an officer of the law telling you that it's, it's not a, de- a big deal, then maybe you close down the phone and you go, I'm feeling this awful way. I've looked it up online and it says that it is, but the, the authority is telling me that it's not. Then you're in this situation where you're almost a lot of the time, I think, going to tell yourself that what happened to you wasn't, wasn't bad enough for you to identify as a survivor or to seek support services because yeah. this guy's telling me that it's not real. And it just, 100%. you know... I find you incredibly inspirational as well. And you can just tell how much of a warrior you are and how determined and intelligent I think you are as well. You, you've got this drive to push for yourself because you're very clear on what you know. And I think that's not a trait that a lot of people have. So you know, I think you're in the minority almost of people who are capable of fighting like this. 
I feel that way too because I so my, my whole career is I've worked with lawyers. I've worked for law firms with lawyers, and what you do, I've developed an ability to speak with like pure confidence because when you deal with lawyers or professional arguers in senior management positions, you have to figure out how to do that. And so I think I like have like that my ability to articulate myself is like almost unique just because of my job. And then you have to add on like not being like having had a bunch of trauma behind me. So being like trauma filled and, and trauma driven in a way, like I think that my trauma is what drove me to do this more than anything. It's like I had all of this divorce shit and I've just been in fight or flight. And, and like you can have a nervous breakdown when you're going through a messy divorce or you can just like not. And the way that I didn't was by getting angry for the first time in my life. Like I'm angry at the way I've been treated finally. And that's, I think, what really drove me. And I think that's just all a conglomeration of like having so much shit thrown at me in a short period of time. I think a lot of people are just fucking tired by this point. They've been raped. They just want help. Yeah. And it shouldn't have to fight for yourself this hard. So after Officer One, um, what, what was the experience like from there? Oh, so yeah, so I, you know, I just showed up to my, again, like he never even called me back. I just showed up. I had my advocate from the rape relief shelter come. Okay. By the way, women out there and whoever, men, whoever is the victims, uh, the rape relief call was a really smart call. I, it was really good resources. Um, they, I was supported. The advocate came with me. They, that was important. So my advocate met me at the police station. She actually called the officer beforehand to let him know that she was going to be attending my statement with me because she gets pushback sometimes, even though there's a mandate from the RCMP about bringing advocates in, there's like pushback and there can be scenes. And she's had times where she's had to like leave and go to different stations because they won't let her come in with the victim. So she called beforehand to be like, I'm letting you know now. So this is back to officer. I decided I was going to still give my statement to officer one, even though I was like, obviously not comfortable going to give my statement to him because I didn't want to just have to like get stuck in the system. I didn't want to just delay it. I wanted my fucking statement done and over with. I had it written. I know to just go read it. I just wanted to do it. So show up there with the advocate. She calls him in advance. He pushes back. Didn't want her there. Said he'd he'd never had that happen in all the sexual assault claims he'd taken. Had to go talk to his supervisor. We show up. Oh, it was brutal. So we show up at the police station. It's COVID. Everything's locked. He's not there. It's five o'clock. So 5.30, he didn't show up until 5.30. In that time, we're locked out of the police station and we have no way of getting hold of him. We had to call the emergent, non-emergency line where you like sit on hold and then they like patch you over to him. It takes like 25 minutes to get through. Before, So I'm like, is he going to show up? Like he never called me back. Did he think I wasn't going to show up? I don't even fucking know. So eventually 5.30, he shows up. We stand outside the station and he's like, get, basically read us the riot act about my my advocate like like just like fear of god in me like you don't you know this kid and i was like i know my rights i'm bringing my advocate like let's just go do this like what would be the problem with having an advocate there with you to support the the fear they put in you is that like the advocate who's trained professionally is gonna like interrupt you when you're doing your statement and like ruin all your whole case for you honestly it's like having that advocate there like me and this guy like this guy was like young like i was thinking he was gonna be like old he was younger than me, like fat and gross. I was just like, me sitting in that room with him, like that is not a safe environment for me to have to go give my fucking statement. Thank God my advocate was there. She like made me feel relaxed. Like she was like, you know what I mean? Like it was the nicest thing to have her there. And it was the only reason why I felt even tiny bit comfortable. Um, and so yeah, the whole experience was awful. I was led into like a fucking disgusting room that looked like an interrogation room. It was like so dreary. It was in the basement of this cop station. I, th- I swear to God, I had like a plastic table 
I read my statement out loud. He asked me really weird questions. Like just, I hated his questions. So like one of the questions he asked was like, so did you guys only talk about sexual stuff on your text messages before you met up on the date? And I was like, I don't think we talked about any sexual stuff before we went on our date. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, that's just such a weird fucking way to word a question. Like, you should just be asking, like, what did you guys discuss? Or, like, did you have any sexual discussions? Like, it's just fucked. The whole thing was fucked. It sounds to me, though, as well, like that is a very loaded statement question. And right? it sounds like this person not only doesn't believe you, but is almost building a case against you. It sounds to me, if if he's insinuating that only your conversations were sexual in nature, that you are a sex worker and that therefore you are less deserving of rights than a woman who is not a sex worker. That's what that sounds like to me. Well, certainly by having casual sex, I have, uh, I'm de- devaluing myself, right? Like, like we want to get into this, like I'm, I don't respect myself. Like I have low self-esteem. Like I think we can all agree. I respect myself and I have high self-esteem. Having sex is fun. Sorry. Ooh, sorry to say that. Like it can be fun or it can be really not fucking fun. As I learned, like, yeah. it's like, it's just, so many stigmas have been thrown at me since this happened because I've just been so vocal about it. Um, and everyone just wants me to shut up. And I keep asking people like, why? Like, and they're just putting the fear of God in me. Like you can't go and say his real name. You can't go put your face to the story. And I'll always be like, why? And it always comes down to like, Oh, well your business. Oh, I've heard this so many times. Your business will suffer. Ooh. And I've been like, it hasn't, hasn't happened. Business is booming. Uh, that's pre- like, it's like that myth that you can't be professional and then also have like a sex, a sexual existence, but God forbid, talk about sexual assault or rape or harassment, right? That's a myth. I broke it. it don't fucking believe that. It is a bunch of bullshit. Um, and same, like, so then it becomes like stigma. And I'm like, I would be like, well, what is the stigma? Like, what's the stigma? Like, why is the stigma on me? Like, I don't, I don't feel a stigma. The stigma's on him, but people project that shit onto you like 24 seven. And, and it's just, I hate it. It's, it's on the victim. It's on the woman. No one's asking and saying, you know, it's going to ruin his business. Uh, you know, well, they're worried what? about that. We can't, we can't have you say that in case it would ruin his career. Yeah. Yeah. Better, so, you better know it's true first. We better like, you know, ooh. <laughs> you know, how dare we? It is. And it's, it's, it's shocking that, in the society we live in, even with the law backing you, that these are the stigmas that you've had to face. And it's very recently. This isn't talking about it in the 1960s. And that's even blowing my mind. Wait till you hear his defense in the civil case. Cause it's, but that's what got me speaking was just like everywhere I go, I'm have this really sexist 19 fucking thirties stuff thrown at me. And, and I question it. And as soon as you question it, people cannot stand by it, but they're just constantly throwing it at me. And it's really just, it's, it's, it's preventing me from being able to heal because all I get is shit thrown at me that I don't agree with. And I, and I'm just constantly like pushing back, but then I'm like, Oh, just go away. Like get with the times. Like wh- again, like why are we still breaking down these myths when they're not relevant anymore? It's yeah. like insane. But anyway, like, yeah. So after you've done your statement, you've gone through all of that awful, horrible, re-traumatizing process. What has it been like? Because you've got a criminal and a civil case that are going ahead. 
Yeah, well, right after, so after the, the RCMP did not uh, investigate properly. And so at that point, I became pretty despondent in that I knew like, there, was, there, there was just no, I knew it was like a law that was broken. I had reported it, but no one would do anything about it. That was super mess, messing with my head. And so I luckily work with a lot of lawyers. And so when that was happening, I decided to launch a civil suit against him. And so he got a demand letter as the cops did nothing. He got a demand letter from my lawyer uh, informing him that he had raped me and that he had to now pay me damages and that would be both criminal and civil consequences. And so that was like the most empowering moment because I was like, wow, okay, I know lawyers, which is helpful. I know I have more access to understanding of the law than other people. And we that was enough for me to be like, you know what? He's deterred now. Like that was like, I just, the bar was so low when I started out here that I just wanted him to like think twice and the cops did nothing, but my civil lawyer was able to like handle that for me. And then we launched a civil suit against him like five days later. And that's in the process now. And that's been super insane. Uh, and that's like a whole story. And my trial is November. Um, but I was able so after that, after we, we sent the demand letters I had to file, I kind of just, just almost like disconnected from my criminal case for a while because I was just feeling overwhelmed. And then it just kind of hit me one day that it had been 10 days. I fired my officer after, by the way. The kind of fun part of my statement story is after my statement was over, I had a couple things I wanted to say to him. And so I asked him to, I said off record, which is what my rape release person suggested if I was going to lay into him. Uh, and so we went outside the station and I, I, I said, like, you... The conversations that I had with you don't belong in the 18th century. You don't have enough understanding of consent to bring my case forward. And I want a new officer on my file. And then I just said, like, I have a right to call the police without having a conversation about rape that belongs in the 18th century. And I have a right to call the police without having you make up excuses. Like the guy probably wore a condom and then like removed it and jacked, like ejected my back. And but what was super fucked up is he just denied it all. Like he denied that whole first phone call. So I just got into like this disgusting he said, she said with him. And I was just like, I'm so fucked traumatized right now. But I fired him as much as you can do that to the police. Uh, and I demanded to see a new officer. I demanded a supervisor uh, and the supervisor never showed up. Um, and I left eventually. And then that officer one did call me to be like, my supervisor is going to call you back tonight. And I was like, by what time? And he was like eight. And I was like, I assume this is the last time we're going to talk. And this is a teachable moment. I'm like, you have no right taking these calls. You've traumatized me more. Do better. Um, and then, the, of course, the supervisor never called me back. That's a common theme in my story. Uh, and then I ended up like calling the, the like, I couldn't sleep. So that night before bed, I just called the, you have to call the non-emergency line and talk to some woman uh, or man, mostly all women, actually. And then they try to patch you through. And so I just eventually like, was like, I was raped. I dealt with an unprofessional officer and I need to talk to a supervisor today. And then I did get a supervisor on the phone and I explained to her what happened. And she said that they were, she'd find a new officer for my file. She would deal with old officer and I would, they'd be in touch uh, within a few like days or like it might take a few days, but some new officer who was like, would take it seriously would be put onto my file. So um, yeah, and then 10 days, nothing. So that's when I kind of just snapped out of it. I was like, it's been 10 days. I've heard nothing. Um, so I called the cops again and they couldn't, and they, there was a new officer on my file. So there was a third officer now on my file, but he had not called me. And so I just said, 
I need to speak with them. I'm in distress. I'm, I've been raped. I'm a victim. I haven't heard from anyone. I don't know if anyone's doing anything on my file. Like I need to talk to an officer. And she's like, he'll call you back. He didn't call me back. I call the next morning. This is, the, this is common. So the RCMP here work four days on, four days off. So then it's like, oh, your officer's off for four days. Now you have to wait four days. So I'm like, no, supervisor. And they're like, oh, I'm like, now. So then eventually I got supervisor on the phone. Um, I'm like a Karen of sex. I'm like, just get me a manager. Uh, and so I get this. So this point I was like quite under distress though, because what she had told me was that my evidence package was with Crown. So something was going on with my file. And I'm like, but I had evidence to submit. When I left my statement, I had a video of him. I had text messages of him and no one had been in touch to get my evidence. So I was like, what evidence is in that package? Why is it with Crown? So I get officer number four supervisor on the phone. It's like 5 a.m. because I couldn't sleep. And I'm like, you know, it's been 10 days, blah, 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 blah. What's going on? And he's like, your evidence package is with Crown. And I'm like, why? I have evidence to put in. Why is it with Crown? And he's like, because it's gray area of law. And I'm like, it's not gray. And he's like, no, 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 it is gray. And I'm like, it's not gray. And, and like, it was just, I felt like Donald Trump. I'm like, no, it's not. Like I just repeated it over and over again. And then eventually I'm like, it's like, no, there's case law, like Kirkpatrick. So when I said that, eventually, like, as I'm debating this officer, he's like slowly starting to be like, oh, okay. Like he couldn't really deny the case law. So then he's kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's more, it's like complicated. And he told me what Mike did to me was unethical, unmoral, but not necessarily criminal. And I'm like, no, it is criminal. There's case law. Yeah. And so I, I was, I know I was dying. And so then at some point, then at some point I just started to just be like, listen, you like, I can sleep with myself at night. Like, I've done everything I can to try to protect women, but you have done nothing. And he's like, I haven't, I'm just the first day on, my, on this file. And I'm like, the RC, all of you, you have done nothing to protect women. Um, and so it was just, he was slowly, a little bit. And then, um, and then I ended up asking him what day my evidence package was sent to Crown. And I discovered that my evidence package was sent to Crown on day one from officer one. He, I, he just sent, after that first phone call, he sent my evidence package off to Crown. I showed up days later and gave my statement. They didn't even fucking put it in there. And that's where it had been sitting for two weeks. So it's just um, creating a case that's never, ever going to get through. It's never, ever going to make enough. enough it's up in there. There's like, there's a statement, an allegation that's being made to somebody who doesn't believe that this is a crime. So I'm trying to explain the impact of what that means. So you've got evidence that would bring the evidentiary value up to a level where you can actually put through criminal charges. If that goes to Crown, like you're saying, and there's nothing fucking in there, then when okay. the prosecution or potential legal side of the law the would, Crown. Would, yeah, would look at that, they're going to go, oh, it's just it, a phone call and an allegation, that's all they've got. We don't have, it doesn't bear enough evidence to take this further to, to a court proceeding. That's the impact that this is having. He's, oh, he's yeah. purposefully almost putting you in a situation where you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Will not win. I mean, it's unjustifiable to send an evidence package to Crown, which is supposed to be done when you complete an investigation without someone's fucking statement even in it. And I think it's unjustifiable and unforgivable to have a victim come in and give a fucking statement and not even give them the dignity of putting it in the fucking evidence package. Like, sorry, I'm dropping a lot of F-bombs here, but like that whole action is just like disgust me. Like the trauma I went through to go give my statement and you just sense and like like it's un it's not well, like we could call it unprofessional we could call it uncomprehensible like it's unexplainable like there's no ex, there's no reason besides you're like actively trying to protect men all the time 24 7 it's outrageous and it's yeah. deeply rooted in misogyny because what is this another hysterical woman coming oh, yeah. in you know we've got to do this because women say this stuff all the time women make up sexual assault allegations all the time we'll just do the bare minimum in the back end it'll never go anywhere like these it's deeply rooted in misogyny because if a man came forward and said something like this which they're less likely to do because of the fucking patriarchy anyway yeah exactly but if that was they would be believed more because they're a man but this is you coming forward standing up for yourself and I'm sure they would have called you a Karen in the background because you are saying, give me the fucking super. I'm sure that everyone knows me now there. And it's just like, oh, fuck. By the end, I called so many police officers and yelled at them. I think they were just ha- passing my file around and like just being like someone appeased this woman. Like it would just took pure determination and like kind of partial insanity just to like get them. And that confidence, like just like you're wrong. Yeah. Like, no, you are wrong. And then it's like, eventually he's like, okay, yeah, okay, okay, fine. Like, because he is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he just, is. Oh, I, I, it sucks so much. And I'm so sorry that you've had to fight this hard for, for your case to even be heard, but you've got, okay. you've got this civil case going ahead. And then in the background, potentially raising the criminal charges again. Yeah. So, well, eventually after I yelled at that officer, they did investigate it. And then I was told that they were going to charge him. And I was like, whoa. And so at that point, I, I hadn't told the police I'd launched a civil case against them because I didn't want them to be deterred. Um, and at that point, me and my civil lawyer kind of like re like we had a chat and we were like, OK, because um, my goal, my main goal is just always with criminal. The most the, the criminal charges are kind of my priority and there's all this strategy involved. Um, but, you know, kind of the worst part. So it, it just got the worst part was they they arrest, they said they're going to arrest him. They called me. They said like, you can sleep at night now. Like there's a, there's a warrant out for his arrest. Like it's with crown. 
And then they never even tried to arrest him. And I found out eight days later after that call where they're like, we're going to arrest him. I have the warrant. You can sleep soundly that they have never even once tried to execute it, which is where you'd go and arrest him and let him know he's been charged with a crime. This is when I found out that in criminal, you don't have to ever talk to the cops or tell a story and they can close your case or or press charges. Um, And so they had never even talked to him. And I was like, so long story short is I found out through my rape advocates that they had never done that. And I I ended up going on like another slew of calls, but yeah, they went eight days. They never bothered to execute the warrant when I called. I was told it was a low priority on their workflows. And I was told that multiple times. And I would just be like, your workflows, your priorities don't align with society's priorities. Like this is, they charged him with sexual assault. I'm like, this is a sexual assault charge and it's been eight days and you haven't even tried to execute it once. And like, and then I just went on a slew of calls. Like I just had, I literally think I called the police 15 times to get them to execute the warrant. And then they did, and then they charged him. And then that was sort of like that. Um, while this is all going on, he's being served. And so after the, okay, so I have to be careful what I say because there's certain things I'm not allowed to say. After, okay, after, um, after we served him with the civil trial, multiple people told me that it was good strategy to, after we found out about the criminal charges, I, I had to decide how I wanted to proceed. Originally with the civil trial, I had thought it would make more sense to go with like a jury trial which is like two years down the road because there was no criminal. And then after that, we decided uh, the fast track trial. I talked to numerous people and we decided a fast track trial was the right move. And so that's how I'm getting a trial so quickly, which is the trial in November. So from there, it just became kind of like one thing after the other. So like we served him, he would have started getting calls from the cops. Then he, then he had to like reply to our claim and give his excuses, which I will read to you and it's fucked. And then he would have got arrested. So his life, he, I have been raining hell on him since it happened, which is like one of the cool things. But if you want to chat about the civil, let's get into his defense. So this is how civil goes. So we write him a demand letter like you raped Anna and you owe her money now. He, in you five days. You're going to want to give your lawyers contact because um, you're, you're not going to want us to serve you at your place of employment. Uh, he does not reply. He gets a reminder, I believe. And then... Um, and then uh, we, he hired a lawyer, right? So now we're just like lawyer to lawyer. So we, 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 we file against him. Very, so it's like notice of claim, it's called. So it's like, we're filing a claim against you, you disgusting pervert. Uh, you raped Anna. Now you owe her money. Very simple. Not too detailed. So he replies back. Um, and he had to do that within 15 days or something like that with his defense. So his defense is, I did not rape Anna. Expected. But I'm just going to read you this. So this is this is 2021. This is just three, four months ago. This was filed in the courts in Canada. Are you ready for this one, everybody? <clears throat> so to summarize, I didn't rape Anna, but point five in the alternative, if the defendant is at fault, which is not admitted but denied, then the plaintiff, that's me, bears some portion of the blame by having provoked the plaintiff and encouraged him to have sexual relations with her and to continue those relations at a time where she knew or ought to have known there were risks associated with proceeding. So it's very legal, but I'm not guilty, but if I am, she provoked me and she ought to have known some risks that were associated with having sex with me. Yeah, it wasn't my fault. I did nothing wrong, but if I did- It's her fault. It's her fault. It's definitely her fault because she provoked me and she should have known how she should have known how risky her behavior was. 
And you know what? It comes down to this provocation thing and this provocation provoking um, defence I find absolutely reprehensible. There was a case really recently in Australia where somebody had murdered their partner, he had murdered his wife, and he was given a lesser sentence because she had provoked him. They proved that in court, apparently. I'm looking into it more because it went through. Um, provoke someone to rape or to murder you. It's interesting. Yeah. So the provocation that went through in court in 2021 in Australia was that this woman, he had seen a photo of her with a man and he had felt like she was cheating on him. That was the provocation that he used to justify why he killed her. And he actually got a manslaughter charge, not a murder charge because of that defence. So this provocation thing, it runs deep. And we, we always as a society, and we need to fucking call ourselves out on it, stop blaming women. Stop blaming the victims in these situations. You need to turn around and hold those men who are doing these things accountable. It doesn't matter. He's a very well-functioning, this man for you, is a very well-functioning human being. He's probably got a full-time job. He's probably got a fucking oh, life. He's professional. Probably, that's exactly right. So he should not be provoked but like what what would lead somebody to do that you can't provoke me enough to sexually assault somebody like what do you mean it's your fault you can't say that that is not a justifiable defense for an adult who has no impairments in any way shape or form if you are able to understand what consent means and in that moment you are completely fine okay you're not delusional then how is that a defense it's not just so we're clear. So I like numerous people, including several brilliant minds. When I showed them this, said this was the dumbest fucking defense they had ever heard in their life. And it was just struck because he literally cannot defend it. So what became what what motivated me to start talking more about this was watching him in his examination for discovery. So I guess originally. So what kind of happened to me was like I file. I see this defense. I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? Like, this is 2021 and we're putting this in a court document. Like, what is the point of this? Is it like not a good argument? Is it to slut shame me? Is it to like make me drop my case? Like, what the fuck is going on? Did he go um, to the like kindergarten for lawyers or something as well? Like, who the fuck? We've had, I've had a couple. I'm, his lawyer is also like, oh my God, his lawyer's like was called to the bar before I was born. So his lawyer is over 70, we've concluded. And yeah, I think that's how this argument ends up in here. But just thinking the two of them together, sitting there in a room, and that's, that's, there's nothing else here. It's like, it says like nothing. It's like, it says like we had, it says all sex was consensual, that we're of equaling bar- bargaining power and we freely consented to sex, that I invited him to my home and bedroom, that I, if, and that I, he denies everything, but it's my fault if it happened. Um, and I should, probably should have known the risk that I'd be raped if I, but it's like goes down to it. It's like, it's almost like a numbers game. It's like people will look at me and be like, well, if you're going to go up casual sex, like, what do you expect? And it's like, I actually just expect to not get raped. That's just it. I just expect that. It's pretty I made a boundary and that's it. It's simple, but you're right. That defense. And they're going to try and probably use that and say like, well, what did she expect would happen? You could be naked, passed out in the middle of the road and on a very busy street in the middle of New York City you are not asking to be touched or anything that you should be able to be there. And somebody sees you and goes, Oh, I'm going to provide care for this person and call. Yeah, a fucking ambulance. Are they okay? Like you're not, I just. 
<laughs> when people say that's what the, that implication is though, like you're out there having casual sex, you're inviting somebody back to your home. You're asking for it. That that's the deep rooted misogyny. And that's what basically that statement is also saying. Yeah. And it's not, and I want to emphasize that you're, you're, you're an absolute fucking queen. Thank you. The good thing about me is like, I, I, I think what's why I want to share my story, especially is because this line right here, like you should have known the risks, like some people that would just crush them. And I just laughed at it. I was like, this is the dumbest thing. And that's one thing I learned to do when I was going through this horrible divorce and like in this thrown into this like litigation, like lawyers, lawyer fees, like, I don't want to be in litigation. Get me out. They're like, sorry, if you're in litigation with an angry man, you're stuck in it. I just learned to like make fun of it all. Like, just fuck it all. Like, at that point, it's just, like, burn the whole thing down. Like, I'm not even going to take any of this seriously. So when I saw this, I just said, like, what a what an idiot. Like, this is an embarrassment, and I can't wait to show people that he put this in here. That's what's motivated me to speak out, because it's like, you have to answer to this shit. And then so he got examined by my lawyer. So what happens is you have an examination for discovery where, like, his lawyer was able to question me, and then my lawyer questioned him. And so we were like, okay, what specifically did she do to provoke you? He could not answer that fucking question. He just rambled on and on and on. What risks? That part of that, this, that part infuriated me, listening to him to say those risks. Like he would just be like, what is risk? What is risk? Risk could be anything. You could have a heart. Like it was like, he could not answer for it. And it was disgusting to watch him talking about it because I'm like, you so casually threw this in here. Like you and your lawyer didn't feel, didn't, you probably didn't even think this was outrageous. You just threw that in there so casually in 2021. But if someone asks you to explain this, you cannot explain it because it is not explainable. That's why you're so powerful, I think, in this moment as well. It's not, you're you're able to sit there and go, yeah, just can you put it into words? And this is something that I do with a lot of people that I work with as well. So not people that I work with consistently, but over time, um, I was talking to a group of young women the other day and I'm um, in a more management position. And one thing I always say is ask the question. So when, when a misogynistic joke comes out and I was talking to you about this before. So when somebody says something like not just a pretty face, say, Oh, did you think I was dumb or explain that for me? And they, they go, you can almost, almost see their buttholes clenching. You know, it's like, can you explain that to me? And they can't. They go, oh, I just didn't, uh, 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 and they realize how bad and how the implications of what they've actually said, and it's powerful. You don't have to get up there and punch someone in the face as a defense or scream at them. You can just call them out on their bullshit, and it's almost like the most powerful thing you can do, watching somebody squirm and realize that they're in the wrong. I think that... I think questions are super powerful. Like that's what I've learned is like, they're so powerful as a way to make your case. And I think, especially when we're dealing with sexism, where it's just really unjustifiable, it's like, there's all these, you know, so after this defense, um, I ended up getting in touch with a reporter for CBC. So CBC is like the Canadian broadcast corporation. It's a big news outlet out here. And this woman wrote an article about a really good journalist. She wrote an article about, this blue wall of silence in the RCMP and just like the amount of misconduct from the RCMP that they've been um, like caught doing and the, and the lack of punishment. So like a domestic abuse, like you can beat your wife and be an RCMP officer and get promoted still. 
but and and then be taking taking calls from domestic abuse victims taking their statements, right? You can say horrible things to women or have sex with a one of a victim who's reporting a crime to you or have sex with someone underage in the RCMP and you are still allowed to go be an RCMP officer and take those calls. So that's really what the article was about. And I reached out to her to be like, wow, this makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I just had this horrible experience with the RCMP. And so she ended up writing back and we, we got to talking and she offered, she asked me if I wanted to tell my story to the CBC. And I was like, not sure if I wanted to do that or not for obvious reasons. And I decided to do it. And then I wasn't sure if I was going to use my face or not. And I said, use my face. And that became really controversial. Like I was just thrown a lot of resistance from that. Like a lot of people in my life didn't think that was a good idea. And I would ask them why. That's when I started to understand these questions. Cause I'd be like, well, why? They'd be like, you can't use your face. And I'd be like, well, why? Well, you know, your business. And I'd be like, well, what would happen to my business? And they'd be like, well, you know, and I'd be like, I mean, for me, my perspective is like, if someone Googles me and they see that I was raped and I talked about it, and they don't want to work with me, they're probably perverted. So I think I'm good. Like, I don't actually want to work with those people. That's why I have my own business. So like, that seems like a good vetting system. Same with dating. Like, if someone's scared to date me because I've called out my rapist, I think I'm good. I don't want to date them. That doesn't sound very safe to me. Like, right? And then it became like all the stigma. Like, it was just, I was just constantly being told there's a hundred reasons why I shouldn't speak out and tell my story. And when I would question why, it just all fl- turned to fluff. You know what I mean? It just all turned to fluff. There's nothing there. Um, and then I did tell my story and I was so nervous to tell it. And then immediately after the end, so many people, like a lot of like reinforcement to not do this. And man, I felt honestly right afterwards, like I'd done like a hit of E. Like something about doing that and telling my story and putting my face to it when everyone was telling me not to, it made me feel so so like more than powerful, like, like I couldn't, you know, it was insane. And so that's when I was like, I want people to know that like, you can call, you can tell your story, like you can put your face to your name and like, people are going to tell you you should feel some way, but like, you might feel totally different. Like I do. And that's kind of what's driven me to constantly just keep talking about it is because I think it's, I've broken all the unwritten rules at this point and they're all, there's nothing there. It's yeah. just a bunch of bullshit people are constantly throwing at you to keep you quiet. And all it does is benefit the mics of the world. Literally. And I think Literally. I couldn't agree with that more. When I told my story on the podcast, when I started this whole project, I had had so many statements like that. And there was actually a girl who was my friend. We're no longer friends. She was going to do all of the graphic design and everything for the podcast. And she ended up not doing that um, because I was going to potentially name the perpetrator. Um, like there's a lot of things that come out in these situations, but after taking that on, I, I posted on my LinkedIn, which a lot of people said not to do like, Oh, that's a bit ballsy. Like people that you work with are going to know this, but then mm-hmm. also there are wonderful people in this world. There are wonderful men in this world. Um, mm-hmm. and my current boss's boss, we had a meeting, basically a, a get together with all of the people before the second lo- uh, before the sixth lockdown, um, in Melbourne and, he, we, we all sat around and he got three people up to talk about themselves and what they do outside of work. So one of them was a psychologist um, outside of work and one of them just all of this wonderful musical stuff. And he introduced me to 30-something people who were sitting on the floor. It was like a, around a campfire kind of thing. And he just he openly said, I gave him the permission to, that I was a survivor myself of child sexual abuse and that I have this podcast and we, we actually spoke about it openly and it wasn't met with stigma. It was met with power. And that's, you can feel 
I felt so exhilarated in that moment as well because I'm sitting there going, you know what, there's nothing to fucking be ashamed of. I'm not the one to blame here. Exactly. And speaking out isn't, uh, for some people it is bad and there are things like you've had in those situations, but I think there's also a lot of good that can come from it too. I think if you have like the resilience to do it, because I think one thing that has, it gets, it can be hard, right? Like it's like you're telling, you're going really out of your comfort zone and you're like breaking rules and you're sharing your story. And sometimes you get the wrong reaction. Like I get the wrong reaction a lot. And then it kind of like you shrink down and sometimes you don't want to keep telling your story because you're just a bit beat down. You know what I mean? But I think that what I've heard and what's kept me telling my story is just like the amount of people who get empowered by hearing someone tell their story. Right. And then maybe they want to tell their story or maybe they are going to stand up for themselves or maybe it happened to them and then they might go to the police, you know? So I think it's important that we talk about it. It's important that we're not shut up because it's so not okay to talk about this type of stuff in a lot of spaces. Like it certainly is something we're only supposed to talk about when women are in the room. Like, me telling my story openly as openly in front of men as I have in front of women is definitely like uh, got me some weird reactions, like to the point that I've been like almost like dismissed, like been told to like go into another room and like have a lady talk over there. And I'd be like, no, uh, that's not an appropriate thing to say to somebody who's telling you their story right now. Um, And so part of it gets tiring. I think like you said, where you're just like, I'm tired, but I think it just, I think once like it's really brave of you to tell that story like the child sex abuse story like that's next level you know what I mean like it's like it's more, you have to be more brave to tell a story like that I think than someone like me and have more things like going against you I think as a child sex survivor than you are as an adult sex, sex adult survivor um so I think the more we talk about it the better for the world yeah but I think and louder the cases- for the back yeah, for those people in the back, please please listen. Um, yeah. I think, you know, as well, I think the, the power that really comes from talking about things like stealthing as well, who are by a lot of people not seen as a crime, this yeah. is going to be really impactful, I think, for a lot of people listening who this has happened to. And this has happened to me before. And so I, I, it happened at the ooh, two years ago and oh, all no. I, I, I didn't know what to do. All I knew is I wanted him out of my house. And I kind of could only, he was like, oh, I'll just stay while you go walk the dog. I was like, get the, f-. I, I didn't want to be yeah, confrontational. I didn't yeah, know how to do, deal with it. So I ended up saying so to this guy. felt it, right? You felt yeah. it. Yeah. So I got my dog and I was like, oh no, that's fine. We'll walk you. We'll start to walk you home. Yeah. Yeah. So literally I started to out. walk and then, and then I was like, oh, okay, goodbye. And then I just turned around and like left, legged it. <laughs> Um, and it scared me because he knew where I lived as well. And yeah. I don't know, I think after everything and, and having the podcast as well for me, I didn't have the energy to even confront the situation. I buried it. And I was just like, this is something that was awful and it scares me. And I went and got tested and I went and did, I had to take up all of my time and effort to go and do these things and live in panic. And, you know, it was fucking awful. But I think for me, it was too traumatic at the time and I just buried it. I blocked him off everything. I didn't want to see him. I didn't want to know anything and I blocked it and I buried it for a long time. Well, I'm really sorry that happened to you. And what I've definitely learned from speaking out about my experience, because I had never heard of this at all. Like it never would have crossed my mind that anything like this would ever happen is it's so common. And a lot of women I know have had this happen to them once or twice. And probably the most common story I've been told is, 
it's someone you've been dating for a while that does it. It's like your 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 month one or two of dating, and maybe you have an agreement that you like have used the pullout method or something, and then all of a sudden they just don't pull out, and then it's like, and then imagine how gray that is. Like my like I had everything going for me. I the cops keep telling me this is what I I get really bugged by <clears throat> the cops telling me constantly that I reacted appropriately because like let's just talk about your story and my story like we felt the same right? You were grossed out by it. It's, it's a weird crime you've never heard of. I was literally like in like fight or flight, like divorce, hell, just constantly have people come at me. And so my reactions are so different than they would have been two years ago, like hundred percent. And so I just was told by the cops constantly that I had the appropriate reaction, but I'm like, I've had the unusual reaction. Like the, the normal reaction is just like, you feel unsafe. You want that person out of your house. You feel uncomfortable. You have to go think about it. You're going to get your STD test a week later. Like that was the low of my sitting in COVID life labs here where you get your blood test done and everyone's just like suited up like it's a pandemic and you're just getting a blood test. I hate needles. I had to take hours out of my day to go do this. I have no time in my schedule and you're just sitting here and I was just like, I lost, like that's where I just broke down. I was like, I, I, this is not fair. Like this should not have, I shouldn't be here. Like this is, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I asked yeah. for when I wanted to have a nice date. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> awful. And it affects so many women. Like I, as I started to tell my story more and more publicly, once I did the CBC story, like I started to have people reach out to me and I was like, wanting to tell my, like, they wanted to know more about my story and how I, they can get the police to listen. But I didn't, I started to take a few calls and I started to feel really drained from the calls. Like, I just felt like it was just really shitty stories. I couldn't really help them. My story's perfectly lined up. If they have one, you know, they'd be like, oh, it was two years ago. I'd be like, well, the cops aren't going to listen to you now. You know, like, oh, it's someone I dated for two months. I'm like, you know, it's just like, I, I can't, I don't know what to say to them. And then I decided to tell my story, like, on Instagram kind of like once thinking that that would sort of like sort of do it and then actually what happened was like more and more people reached out to me and but I didn't just like it's just like that reinforcement that it's like happening to so many women this specific crime that no one's even ever heard of yeah but that could impregnate us and does impregnate women like I've met multiple women who had abortions as a result of a stealthing crime and they're all fucking traumatized and many of them have gone to the police in Canada, in even in BC, where it's illegal, and their stories are so fucking similar to mine, including that they they close cases because the guy might make an excuse. Like a woman recently got in touch with me, and she was stealthed in May, and she's tried to report it. They closed her case. She did manage to get it reopened, and the reason they closed it, it's in there written, because he could say. So it's like you can't you close a case. You can't close a case. Also, by the way, in, in civil, you're forced to tell your story. So Mike did have to tell his story. And the story he told is unbelievable. Like the story that watching him, like, you know, my lawyer questions him. We're all on Zoom. I'm watching him tell the story for the first time. It, it was just disgusting listening to him talk. Like he was so like the stuff he wrote he said like he just painted himself like a me like a dangerous person almost like like uh, at one point he said he like it was he was so dumb like you're supposed to just say no yes I don't know or I don't recall that's what you're supposed to do that's what I was told to do he just fucking talked and talked and talked and it was just like such a narrative and like he tried to paint himself as like this nice guy um like at one point 
that they're like, so you deleted her from Bumble like immediately afterwards? And he was like, yeah, well, you know, she threw the champagne glass out the front door as I was leaving. I wanted to find it because she has kids and I wouldn't want them to get like cut with glass or something. So I took my phone out to turn the light on and I just saw the Bumble app there. And I thought to myself, well, she won't need that. I just deleted her from Bumble. I figured she could text me. And then he admits to, to deleting, to blocking me from text like later that night. So it's just like watching him do that was just, and you want to know the story that he landed on? This is why I think he's going to be super guilty. Like, like it's he said, she said, right? They're closing cases because these guys can make up excuses. Cop one already made up like probably the excuse he should have gone with. Yeah. Uh, but this is the story he landed on. So we first, he said we had sex face to face, which is untrue. Then he admits all of the part. Like, let me see your cute tattoo flips over, says we we're having sex doggy style and he was ready to orgasm. So he decided to pull out and jerk off into the condom for orgasm. And then the condom accidentally slipped off and he accidentally came on my back. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's bless this situation in a way, because what a fucking idiot. I mean, it's just brutal. It's, 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 it's unconscionable. It's outrageous, but what a fucking idiot, you know, and for them to close that case against that those people because they might make a statement, well, hang on, their defense might be this bad. It might be this fucking bad. Like, you don't know what they're going to say. Like, you don't know what kind of stupid. There's a hundred, like, he should have been prepared with his fucking excuse. This is his examination. Like, and, but no, this is what this, these guys are, he was so low functioning. Like, as he's talking, and I'm like, you are clueless. So, like, he tried to paint it like, so they're like, why, you know, when did you delete her? Well, because I wrote him a message after at the end of the night when I protested it all. And I called him like, I don't know, it's kind of sassy. It was like, we were because the worst part was on the date, we started talking about like sexual harassment through dating apps, which is like pretty bad. In my opinion, I've been sexually harassed a lot on dating apps. And he really just painted himself like this really nice guy. And so then afterwards, right, of course. And so afterwards, I wrote a message being like, it's funny that we were talking about these, this type of stuff on like dating apps, but like then a non-consensual sex without a condom, like that's pretty next level. And then I think I like called him, I said he had like a limp dick or something. Um, and then he wrote, like he admitted that after he got that message, he blocked me. And then in his examination, he's like, well, I blocked her when things got not very nice. Right. Like alluding that like my text message. And I'm like, yeah, Again. so I'm supposed to be nice to my rapist now, I guess. Yeah. Is that what I'm supposed Again. to do? Just... Victim blaming. It's your fault. You're the reason yeah. that he blocked you. You're the reason. Yeah. You're the blame. The game. Oh, yeah. On the defense thing as well, I saw this um, video and it was a Judge Judy video um, oh, and it was, an, I love her, it was an <laughs> accusation of a, girl, a, a young girl had said that this man had stolen her bag and she listed off the items that were in the bag and then he said there were no headphones in there and then Judge Judy just went, well, <laughs> you've just oh, admitted my- that you've had the bag. You've just admitted that. Like he just... His defense was like, I didn't steal anything. And then now he's saying there was, that wasn't in there. And it was the, I think it was called like the quickest trial ever, but that's this shit as well. It's like, I know you can't always dismiss a case and say that it's not going to go through. You need to take them on. You need to take them seriously. And it's not for police to make that judgment. That's not police's job. Police's job is to collect all of the evidence and put it into a case. And they present that to like for in Australia, it would be to the Department of Public Prosecutions, I believe. It's yeah. then for 
lawyers to determine whether it meets an evidentiary standard to go through with a prosecution. That, that's the process. You can't close a case because somebody might deny that it happened. Imagine saying that about a fucking car theft. Just like any other crime. It's insanity. Like, it makes no sense. But it was just, to me, it just started to feel like they were so, they're trying everything they could to, like, protect him without, with, at, like, like they're just leaving all women, like, subject to this type of behavior. Like, I was really despondent because I was like living in this world where I'm like okay this just happened to me I never in a million years would have thought this would happen to me I've decided to like do what I can about it which is like go to the police which I knew isn't going to be easy even though like that's that's like so shitty how we just accept that like the cops won't even help us and we all know that um and then they are like actively not like going like just not even they're not they're actively protecting him like they're, at, they're, it's like they're going out of their way. They're going to get in trouble. Like there's no way this is going to like look good on their review. Like I've made a complaint against the RCMP. They're all going to have to answer to it one way or the other. What's the benefit there besides just like it's ingrained in our culture that we just like don't move these forward because we have bros in our force that have done worse. Is that why? Cool. Well, I can't live in a world where then I was like any date I go on, this could happen to me again and I have no recourse. And that's what got kept me calling them to be like, no, like I know my rights and I refuse to accept this, but it doesn't leave me feeling any less vulnerable today. Like I haven't been on a date since that happened because yeah. anything could happen to me. And this, I don't want to have, like, it's, you're so vulnerable, you know? These are the impacts as well. Like we were just talking at the beginning at the top of the episode, you know, you saying how much this is a part of empowerment for you as well, being able to go out and date and have fun and, you know, in your time away from your kids, be able to do things like that. So it's taken something from you. It's taken a freedom from you as well. It's not just the event. It's also the trauma following the event that you've had to go Mm -hmm. through. And it's also the ripple effects that a crime like this has on what you do and how you function. hundred percent. It's had like a massive impact on my life. Uh, My life's never been the same since it happened. Yeah. And I'm like one of the lucky ones who get like, quote unquote, justice. Um, the justice is injustice, obviously. No. I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Is there anything that you wanted to, to add in that we didn't talk about? One thing to remember is like, don't like tune it out. So like, even with the judge, like I'm going into a civil trial, right? I'm going to find out in a month. I'm going to go present my stuff to the evidence. Like my, the he said, she said we have, and the judge is going to decide. And um, I, but I've never once put my, like, any validity in the judge. Like, judges are just human. There's tons of perverted judges out there. There's tons of judges that make questionable rulings all the time that are based on their bias. So I think it's just about, like, about knowing what happened to you and, like, really just don't let – put those other voices out. Like, your story's your story. And if you want to tell it, tell it. If you don't want to tell it, don't tell it. But don't – tune that feedback out. That feedback is, I think, a big part of the problem you share your story with someone, they react in in an appropriate way. And then you kind of downward spiral and your healing doesn't happen. Like just tune that shit out and surround yourself with people who listen and don't put any of of your story on anyone else. Like, like even if your rapist denies it, even if people around you don't want to admit it happened to you or they don't understand it, like you lived it and you know what happened to you and don't gaslight yourself if you can avoid it. I think we all do that. I do it. You said yeah. you did it a little bit. Like I think that's we all part do of our, co- our coping, coping mechanism of dealing with a lot of assault in our whole lives, right? I think, yeah, but I think it's also just ingrained in us um, to try and make sense of a situation that doesn't make sense. But I want to thank you for coming on. You've been absolutely 
incredible. I'm so sorry for, for what you have gone through and what you are continuing to go through. Um, hearing your story and how hard you've fought for yourself is truly inspirational. Um, and I think you're an incredible, incredible human being. And I'm so proud to have had you on here. Um, I hope to have you on again with an update. Mm, love about to, yeah. This fuck bag. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, as it progresses. I think you did just, um, I always ask um, at the end of each episode, what would your advice to a survivor be? And I, I know that you mm. kind of just touched on that. I've done that. But what, what would your advice be if you had to pick something for somebody going through what you've been going through? What would your advice be? Get angry. I think it's okay to feel angry. I mean, I'm coming only from my perspective, but like anger, embracing that anger is what fueled me to keep fighting for justice. And I think pushing back, like knowing that you're right and that not everyone around you is, is right. Like the cop didn't know what he was talking about. None of them did. I was right. Um, and so like, just push back, ask those questions, like, like just don't accept it as what someone tells you. Um, just push back. And, and like the worst advice I got by far from multiple people was when the cops weren't helping me was I should just be more polite to them and maybe they would help me. I heard that from multiple people. Common advice we get, right? Um, that is bad advice. I yelled at the cops. I was, I, I literally thought I was screaming at them and afterwards I would be like, I apologize for screaming. And they'd be like, you didn't scream, ma'am. So it's like, you feel like you're screaming, but you don't. It's just like, be assertive, yell, get angry. Don't be polite. Polite gets you nowhere. So if you need to call the cops and they're telling you that something happened to you, Yes, it fucking did. Don't be polite. It's not your job. So just, I don't know, get angry, push back, yell. I don't know. I don't have yeah. lots of lot there. There's a lot there. Yeah. I think that's an incredible thing. You don't have to accept it. You can push back. The, the, the initial ruling is not the final ruling. Ask for another doctor, ask for another nurse, ask for another police person. Like if someone's, if someone's not service, serving you, and I think we live in a world where like, often we know that this is wrong. Like we'll go, you know, like one of the stories on your podcast with a, with a nurse, that was the person that, that turned them away. And that nurse, like, fuck her. We don't know anything about her, but except that she's wrong. So like move aside, you know what I mean? It's like, that's what we could do instead. It's just like coming into these situations, knowing the, knowing that we're going to might get an idiot thinking we're smarter than them. Cause we are. It's like, when I call the cops, they were sucking me into like another reality and I would have to like check myself and be like, what, like, where am I? But my reality was the real reality. And I knew that, like, I knew that my reality was based in law and culture and whatever the fuck was going on in their office was not. Um, and so really just like not getting sucked into this reality and accepting it, but being like, no, you get into my reality now, explain yourself. Like I was just asking them, this is, how is this low priority? How are your, like, they would tell me that they wouldn't arrest Mike because it was a low priority on their workflow. And I'd be like, your priorities don't align with society's priorities. How do your priorities get done? Is it a person that does it or is it a machine that does it? What other priorities are on there today? Did you put a bike in front? Like what specific priorities have you put in front of my priority today? Um, and then being like, oh, and then I would end with like, okay, well, if, if he's out doing this to someone else and I bring them to your desk, are you going to be able to look them in the eyes and say that you had higher priorities to do today? And then that would be, they'd be like getting the fucking woman off the phone. Um, and then they would just. Yeah, but I think that's it. And, and you're unique in the sense, I guess, that you feel confident to do that. But I think in your own way, take the power back. You don't have to accept things. And I, I think that's an incredibly powerful statement to make. And I think the other thing that I took away from this as well was that you can have an advocate. I don't know about the advocacy mm. services that are here. I'd actually never thought about that. So what we will do is link the information 
to the services that you use that were really wonderful for you. Definitely. Um, and what we will also link, I'm going to do a bit of research and see what we've got available in Australia or what is available maybe in, in the UK and US and see what services there are for advocates because I think that's an incredibly powerful thing. You don't have to do it alone. And an advocate to me as well is somebody impartial. You know, you feel so bad when you've got somebody that you love sitting next to you while you're going through this because you don't want them to hear all of the details and stuff as well. I think a lot of the time you feel guilty. I think having an advocate there, it's their fucking job, is a powerful thing to have because you can be open and honest. You've just got somebody backing you. 100%. 100%. The av- like calling the race relief shelter was so smart because they were like, it was like, so you call them, you have that conversation with them. They like validate you. They explain to you the information, explain to you your options. You can kind of go from there. And then when they were like, if you decide to report it to the police, get in touch with us first. And so I was like coming and hawing because did I feel like a real rape victim at the time? Cause I was just stealth, right? I wasn't sure if I wanted to use their resources or if I, it would be about, you know what I mean? Like we, we do that to ourselves. I think we all do that. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up booking a Zoom meeting with them that next night where they kind of like explained to me what the process would be like reporting to the police. And just that energy, like they were fucking pissed this had happened to me. They were pissed. And they knew other women that it happened to. And so that made me feel like people understood me and that there were two people here supporting me. And they were kind of like very just like do what you want to do. Like if you want to go to the cops, we'll go do that. If you don't want to go to the cops, that's fine. If the cops don't help you, we'll, we can put pressure on them. Like it was really... But they're so busy. The advocates are so slammed. In fact, I, there was a third rape shelter I called that night and the other two were busy. Like, like the line would go straight to busy. So um, as I've talked to more rape victims, especially in my area, um, what I've learned is like the advocates just don't have enough time to put into the, into the work. Um, but having her there for my statement was like epic. And then what I've been able to do as well is um, like my sister is around sometimes now when I have things going on, which she kind of forces herself to come. But I've realized having someone here is really important. Like I did my examination for discovery where I'm like literally questioned by his lawyer. The love that lovely thing. And my sister, it's, you know, on Zoom in my basement and my sister waited upstairs and I was like, you don't have to be here. You're, you're barely going to see me. But just having someone there on those 15 minute breaks, it was like such a game changer. So I just think you have to find someone who's going to support you. It's an advocate, it's a family member, like whoever it is, and just take their help and have them there with you, bring them to things. Um, even if you don't think you need it, it's actually the biggest thing for me. Yeah. It's not just somebody knowing that there's a little bit of protection there, that you're going to be okay and they're going to help you. And I think that's incredible. It's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Anna. It's been an absolutely wonderful chat. We were laughing before we could close a bar. <laughs> I know, we'll have to one day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I, I really want to come to Canada. So um, mm-hmm. if I do, or if you come here, we'll definitely be having a couple of bevs together. Definitely. I love that. Well, thank thank you, so, you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for doing this podcast. Um, I didn't know this podcast had existed until... I was a victim and listening to some of the stories is, it is really powerful what you're doing. It's really important what you're doing. I'm really impressed. I didn't know you were only 29. Very impressive woman. (laughs) Thank you so much. I think it's so wonderful to be surrounded by other powerful, beautiful women and we lift each other up. That we might be able to do some things in our lifetime if we all stick together. That's my point. I think that we definitely can. Mm-hmm. So thank you. And for now, this is Reclaim Me signing out. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. 
In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.